It's Sanctity of Life Sunday today, and churches around the world will be celebrating life today, celebrating the triune God as the creator of human beings who are made in his image. And today, we will celebrate the truth of Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, that Jesus died so that we might have life. So as we mourn the loss of innocent life, as we grieve that children are murdered in the womb of their mothers, we have no place else to go but to Jesus. So we look to Jesus today. We look to him, namely Jesus, because he lived for us and he died for us, as Hebrews 2.9 says. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Jesus tasted death for us so that we could celebrate life and so that we could mourn the loss of life, the lost lives of the unborn. So if you're new to grace, you have to know this about us. We are pro-life here. We are against abortion. We pray that one day, Abortion will be illegal. I just prayed that earlier in the service in our prayer of confession and celebration. We pray and hope that one day we won't even have to have a Sanctity of Life Sunday. So today's sermon is not just going to be about me saying that killing innocent children in the womb is wrong because I believe it is wrong. I'm not going to just point out how evil abortion is, because I'm pretty sure most of us here believe that. Most of us believe that abortion is evil. Now, maybe you don't believe that, but my guess is that most of us here would say that abortion is evil. And if you don't believe that it's evil, and you don't believe that it should be stopped, then one sermon about it probably won't change your mind. It might, but one sermon telling you that it is evil and wrong probably won't change your mind. It might. So instead, what I wanted to do today is offer some hope, kind of stretch out the application of hope to all of us. I want to see the gospel free us to live under the banner of Jesus' final words on the cross when he said, it is finished. And the reason why is because I think we all need that hope today. You may not have had an abortion or been involved with one, but I know that you need some rest. We all need rest from the heavy burdens that we carry around. We all need to hear Jesus' words in Matthew 11 when he said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We all need rest. Rest from the burdens that we carry. We all need hope. We all need burdens lifted because this is true of all of us. We have all done many, many things that we are ashamed of, right? We've all said and done things that we are ashamed of. Maybe you've had an abortion, or maybe your girlfriend or spouse had an abortion, and if that's you, you need some hope 
today. You need some good news. You need to learn to rest in Jesus, to rest in the good news of the gospel, that Jesus doesn't remember that sin anymore. And even if you haven't had an abortion, I know that you have said things about other human beings, and I know that you have said things to other human beings who are made in God's image. I know you've said some things about and to others that you are probably ashamed of. We all have. So what I want to do today is offer some hope and not just be polemical and political about the issue of abortion. What I want to do today is talk about stories. I think we need more stories as we talk about abortion and not just arguments against it. I don't think we need to be political and polemical all the time. I think we need to hear the stories of those who have been affected. And in order to do that today, to give you some hope, to tell you some stories, I need to share a bit of my past with you. I've told you all that I used to work in the film industry. My father-in-law owned a lighting company, and we used to provide specialized lighting for for Hollywood, for movies, commercials, music videos, special events. And it was in the fall of 1997 when I was informed that my next lighting job was to be for this band's new music video. So I I grabbed the call sheet and went home to look up this band on the internet. Now, keep in mind that this was in 1997. The internet was still relatively New, and it was very, very slow back then, right? It was very, very slow. So I got onto my computer, and I dialed up the internet. And I waited and waited and waited as that old internet sound happened. You're still waiting to get online. You remember that? You're just like, come on. Almost. You remember that sound? Those were the days. I was using AOL at the time, America Online, and it was jokingly referred to back then as America in line because all of America was waiting in line to get onto the internet. AOL was also called AOL back then. The good old days of the beginnings of the internet. So I waited for the connection and then went to the AOL search engine to type in the band's name so I could go to their website. And so I typed in the band's name. Ben Folds Five. I don't know if you know who they are. The singer Ben Folds has gone on to have a great solo career, and I think he was a judge even on some reality competition show on TV. So I didn't know anything about this band except that I had heard the name Ben Folds in a song by the group Counting Crows. Do you remember them? There's a line in one of their songs called Monkey, where it says this, got nowhere but home to go, got Ben Folds on my radio right now. So I had heard the name Ben Folds because Counting Crows are one of my favorite bands, but I had never heard his music before. So I get on the website of Ben Folds 5, and I'm expecting to see this five-piece jazz band. I thought Ben Folds 5 was a jazz outfit. It sounded like they would be, and to my surprise, they were a three-piece band, piano, bass, and drums, 
and not a five-piece band, and they did not play jazz music. Their website described their music as punk rock for sissies. Punk rock for sissies. And I, I immediately thought, these guys are clever, and they're funny, and they don't take themselves seriously, so this should be a fun video to shoot. So I listened to a few song clips and immediately loved his voice. Ben Folds has that nasally kind of voice that kind of sounds like Joe Jackson to me. Do you remember Joe Jackson from the 80s? He sang the song, Stepping Out, and is she really going out with him? Do you remember Joe Jackson? Big Joe Jackson fan, so I immediately heard some of the influence in Ben Fold. So I'm looking at their website, and I see that their new album was called Whatever and Ever, Amen, which as a good country boy from Oklahoma, I immediately recognize as a play on country musician Randy Travis's song, Forever and Ever, Amen. So they're saying, whatever and ever, amen. Remember Randy Travis? So I was thoroughly confused about what kind of band they were, but I loved how self-deprecating they were, and I appreciated their humor, and I liked their music because it had this 80s Joe Jackson vibe, and I thought, this is going to be a fun video to be a part of. And when I got to the set, the band Ben Folds 5 did not disappoint. They were a fun bunch of guys, very witty, funny, nice guys. And when it came time to record the video, get the lights set up, The song started to play, and it was a very somber, slow, heart-wrenching song, and nothing like any of the other songs that I'd heard by Ben Folds 5. And the song that we were shooting the video for that day is their song called Brick. You remember that song? Maybe you heard it. It, The song Brick was a big hit for them in the fall and winter of 1997-98. And the girl in the video is actually the girl from the very first Jurassic Park movie. Just an interesting tidbit about the video. Well, Brick is this sad, emotionally heavy song about the physical and emotional horrors of abortion. So here was this crazy, fun, goofy band who called their music punk rock for sissies. And they were singing this heavy song about abortion. The piano player and the lead singer, Ben Folds, wrote the verses of the song about taking his high school girlfriend to an abortion clinic to have an abortion the day after Christmas. And the chorus of the song, which was written by the drummer, describes the weight and the heaviness of the shame and the guilt that Ben feels. In the song, he describes his girlfriend as a brick. The whole situation is weighing him down. He's drowning from the weight of it all. The abortion is a brick, a weight that he can't bear And he's drowning in all the emotional mess. So let me read the lyrics to the song Brick to You by Ben Folds 5. 6 a.m., day after Christmas, I throw some clothes on in the dark. The smell of cold, car seat is freezing. The world is sleeping. I am numb. Up the stairs to her apartment, she is balled up on the couch. Her mom and dad went down to Charlotte. They're not home to find us out. And we drive. And now that I have found someone, I'm feeling more alone than I ever have before. She's a brick, and I'm drowning slowly. Off the coast, and I'm headed nowhere. She's a brick, and I'm drowning slowly. They call her name at 7.30. I pace around the parking lot. Then I walk down to buy her flowers 
and sell some gifts that I got. Can't you see? It's not me you're dying for. And now she's feeling more alone than she ever has before. She's a brick and I'm drowning slowly. Off the coast and I'm headed nowhere. She's a brick and I'm drowning slowly. As weeks went by, it showed that she was not fine. They told me, son, it's time to tell the truth. And she broke down, and I broke down, because I was tired of lying. Driving back to her apartment, for the moment we're alone. But she's alone, and I'm alone, and now I know it. She's a brick, and I'm drowning slowly. Off the coast, and I'm headed nowhere. She's a brick, and I'm drowning slowly. I want to show you the video right now that I worked on that day. We don't show videos in our sermons. I think I've done it once when we went through Philemon years ago. But I want to show you the video because I want you to enter into the emotional part, the emotional aspect of the story of what someone who has gone through this kind of experience, what they would be feeling so you can better understand as you minister to people, as you have conversations about abortion, what is it like? And I think the video and the song really captures that. So here's Brick by Ben Folds 5.
wanted to show you that video just so that you could enter into the emotional state that someone is experiencing as they go through the process so that as you're having conversations with people about the topic of abortion, you realize that these are human beings so that we would be less argumentative and less polemical and political, although we need to have conversations, but to remember that these are human beings who have been created in God's image who are going through this. So It's a sad song. There's this high school couple who on the day after Christmas go to get an abortion. He's numb. He can't feel anything. He goes to pick her up at the apartment and she's balled up on the couch crying, scared, overwhelmed. And they're together driving to the clinic, but they're alone. I mean, they're together, but they are alone. This whole situation is driving them apart. So as they call her name to have the procedure, he paces the parking lot And then he goes to sell some of his Christmas gifts so he can pay for the abortion and buy her some flowers. And he wants her to know she's not dying because of him. This is her choice. So the weight of it all is crushing him. She's a brick, he says. He feels like he's holding her and he's sinking. It's like he's off the coast in the ocean and the situation is weighing him down and he's drowning in the pain and the sorrow. The weight is too much. He feels like he's drowning And they hide the abortion from their parents. Nobody knows what happened. But after a while, all of the heaviness took its toll. She was not okay. The emotional and physical pain of the abortion had caught up to her. Their parents could tell that something was up, so they told the truth. They broke down and confessed because they couldn't carry the burden of the abortion anymore. He was tired of lying. She was not okay. It was all too much 
for any human being created in God's image. Here's what Ben Folds said about the song. People ask me what this song's about. I was asked about it a lot, and I didn't really make a big hairy deal out of it because I just wanted the song to speak for itself. But the song is about when I was in high school. Me and my girlfriend had to get an abortion, and it was a very sad thing. And I didn't really want to write this song from any kind of political standpoint or make a statement. I just wanted to reflect what it feels like. So anyone who's gone through that before, then you'll know what the song's about. He wanted to write a song about his experience. He wanted to reflect on what it feels like to go through that experience. It's such a sad song, but it's one of my favorite songs because I love everything about the song. I love the emotion. I love the melody. I love the music. I love that there's a, a true story behind it, that these are his feelings. I love how Ben has captured what it feels like emotionally to grapple with abortion, to grapple with life and choices in a fallen and broken world. And so we need to hear stories like this as we have conversations about abortion. We need to hear stories like that of Linda Bird Frank, who wrote a memoir called The Ambivalence of Abortion. She had marched in support of abortion rights in 1973, and then she had an abortion herself in 1976. But the experience, she says, like so many other women and the men who are involved with them, the experience has left her haunted. Her words are a heart-rending testimony that we need more than arguments. We need to hear the stories of abortion too. Not just be polemical, not just be political and argue. We need to hear the stories like Linda. She said this, it certainly does make more sense not to be having a baby right now. We say that to each other all the time. But I have this ghost now, a very little ghost that only appears when I'm seeing something beautiful like the full moon on the ocean last weekend. And the baby waves at me, and I wave back at the baby. Of course we have room, I cry to the ghost. Of course we do. We need to hear stories like that. We need to hear songs like Brick. And it's fitting to talk about that song today and to discuss it because it's Sanctity of Life Sunday. And what I want to do today is speak a little bit more about what I said last week. The reason why we have a Sanctity of Life Sunday is because human beings are the pinnacle of God's creation. The reason we have a Sanctity of Life Sunday is because human beings... You and me are the apex of God's creation. We have value, we have worth, we have dignity because we are made in God's image. And that's why we are against abortion. Now you may have noticed that our sermon title is just one word today. Y'all know me, I like long sermon titles. That's why I like the Puritans, because they had very, very long sermon titles. But today our sermon title is just one word, brick. And here's why. I want you to remember that word and to think about it. Because the truth of the matter is that we all have bricks that we carry around with us. We are all weighted down with many different things in life. 
And we're tired from carrying the weight of it all. The weight of words that we have spoken to human beings made in God's image. The weight of the choices that we have made. The weight of thoughts that we have entertained. The weight of all the mess and all the junk and all the sin in our lives. It has a way of weighing us down. The weight of all the guilt. The weight of all the shame. The weight of all the regret. The the weight of all the condemnation can be summed up in one word That is our sermon title today, Brick. And that's why our big idea today will be just one word. This one word, rest. We all carry bricks around with us. The bricks of the past. The bricks of our failures. And Jesus came that we might find rest from all of that. Rest is our big idea today. And I get that from Jesus. Listen to your Savior's words again from Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and I'm lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Rest. Jesus offers rest for our weary souls. Jesus offers rest to the tired. And he is gentle and he's lowly of heart. And his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Such beautifully freeing words for people who labor and are heavy laden with guilt, heavy laden with shame, heavy laden with regret. Such beautifully freeing words for people who have bricks in their past that are still weighing them down today. Such beautifully freeing words for people who feel like they're drowning because of everything that's going on in their life. Human beings are the pinnacle of God's creation. We have value, we have dignity, we have worth because we are made in the image of God. As Genesis chapter 1 verses 26 through 27 says, so to be the image of God means that we are God's representatives in this world. We reflect Him. We live as human beings who are His representatives who reflect Him in this world. I think Richard Pratt explains it the best. He says, I think the most comprehensive definition of image of God is everything you are minus sin. The most comprehensive definition of the phrase, the image of God, is this. It's everything that you are, everything that I am, minus sin. Everything that you are right now, minus sin, that's the image of God. Everything you are as a human being is the image of God excluding sin. But sin has messed up this world. This world is broken. We're broken. We're broken because the first human being made by God in his image, Adam, we're broken and sinful because he sinned. And because we're sinners, we all do things that we are ashamed of. We say things about others We say things to others that we regret saying. We say things about others and to others who are made in the image of God. What does James, the brother of Jesus, say about how we use our tongues? 
With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brother, brothers, these things ought not to be so. That's God's law exposing us as the sinners that we are. How do we use our tongues? All of us say things about others and to others that we regret saying. I did it this past week. Said something to someone. The words came out of my mouth. And immediately I just wanted to pull them back in and say, oh my God, that, that hurt. That hurt them. We all gossip about image bearers of God. Oh, now we might cloak it in like, can you be praying for so-and-so because I heard this is going on. So we, we gossip, but we kind of we cloak it in a prayer request. We really need to be praying for so-and-so because da 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 We all gossip about fellow image bearers of God. We all slander fellow image bearers of God. Sometimes that happens as soon as we get in the car going home from church. Did you see so-and-so? Did you hear what he said? I didn't like the sermon. I didn't like the music. Right? And we don't just say things to harm people. We may actually harm someone physically. Maybe we lose our cool as we're disciplining our kids and we spank them too hard. Or maybe we have physically abused someone, a child or our own spouse. There are numerous ways that we have all not reflected God's image as we are called to do. There are many ways that we have all hurt fellow image bearers of God. And we do that because we are sinners And what does Jesus say to us today? He says simply, rest. Come to me and rest. Take my yoke upon you and rest. Cast your burden on me and rest. Lay your brick at my feet and rest. John Piper has famously said this catchy phrase that I'm sure you've heard before. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. It's a true statement. I believe it. But I have tweaked it. And I think that John Piper and Jesus would agree with my tweaking of that phrase. Here's how I tweaked it. God is most glorified in us when we are most sabotaged in him. Yes, sabotaged is a word. It means to keep the Sabbath, to rest. God is most glorified in us when we are resting in him. God is most glorified in us when we are resting in Jesus' finished work for us. God is most glorified in our lives when we bring our bricks and we lay them at Jesus' feet and we rest in his finished work. We rest in his perfect life and perfect death. So Jesus is saying today to us that we should rest. He's saying, rest in my finished work. Rest in my life. Rest in my death. Rest in my resurrection. Rest because it is finished. Rest because I tasted death for you, Hebrews 2.9. Rest because for the joy set before me, I endured the cross, despising its shame, Hebrews 12.2. And what was the joy that kept Jesus going to the cross? What was the joy that moved Jesus to taste death for sinners like us? It was the joy that he and we would have as we rested in his finished work. Preston Sprinkle says it this way. It was the joy of being reconciled and reunited with his image-bearing masterpieces turned enemies who deserve wrath, not forgiveness, 
Justice, not grace. Joy for you is what kept Jesus going. Through every slash of the whip, every pound of the nail, every agonizing breath, every shameful insult hurled from the mouths of his beloved enemies, it was for Jesus' stubborn delight set before him that he endured the cross. The ingenuity of the Persians, the barbaric fine-tuning of the Romans, the wood, spikes, hammers, splinters, and crown of thorns picked from a garden are all woven into the tapestry of grace as the only fitting way to capture God's love for his image bearers. This is why you can't make God love you. God loves you because of God. God acted in Jesus out of his own freedom to descend into a feeding trough and to spread his arms across a splintery beam of wood. It was Jesus' declaration, it is finished, that made God love you. And when Jesus declared, it is finished, he meant it. God's punishment for our sin was paid for, permanently settled, finished, 100%. If you have responded in faith to God's free pardon through Jesus, then God will never punish you for your sin. It's finished. No more. If you screw up today or tomorrow, which you will, it's already been paid for through Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Paul said, Romans 8.1, none. God will not and cannot condemn you after he has already condemned Jesus for you. It's impossible. God will never be angry with you since his anger was poured out on Jesus. All of it. 100%. This point needs to soak into your bones because we have a natural desire to cover our shame with guilt instead of grace. Guilt drags along behind us like a ball and chain, even though God has shattered the chain with the cross. In other words, rest. Rest because every single one of your failures has been laid upon Jesus' back. And every one of your failures has died with Jesus in his death when he tasted death for you to be remembered no more. Rest because Jesus can't remember your sins anymore. You bring your sins up to Jesus right now, he'd say, I don't know what you're talking about. I can't remember them. Rest because Jesus can't remember your sins no more. Rest because all of your yesterdays are nailed to the cross and they are to be remembered no more. Rest and remember no more. Rest because the gospel is true. Rest because the gospel is good news. This is the beautiful gospel That we proclaim. And in their book, Rid of My Disgrace, Hope and Healing for Victims of Sexual Assault, Justin and Lindsay Holcomb highlight the beauty of the grace of the gospel. This is what they say. Grace is available because Jesus went through the valley of the shadow of death and rose from death. The gospel engages our life with all its pain, shame, rejection, lostness, sin, and death. And so now to your pain, the gospel says, you will be healed. To your shame, the gospel says, you can now come to God in confidence. To your rejection, the gospel says, you are accepted. To your lostness, the gospel says, you are found and I won't ever let you go. To your sin, the gospel says, you are forgiven and God declares you pure and righteous. To your death, The gospel says you were once dead, but now you are alive. 
Jesus tasted death for you so that you could experience his grace. So let me ask you this morning, what brick is weighing you down today? Is it the memory of an abortion? The memory of hurtful words? Maybe it's the memory of racist comments that came out of a heart that is full of racism. Maybe it's the memory of the pain that you've brought upon your family. What is it? What brick has you weighed down today? What brick from your past has you weighed down? You see, we have a natural desire to cover our shame with guilt instead of grace. That's what we all try to do, to cover our shame with guilt instead of grace. We feel that shame, that some, we're ashamed of it, and we think if I keep heaping guilt upon myself, that will cover it. That won't work. We can't cover it. It was meant to be covered by grace. The reality is that God knows all of your secrets. He knows all of the awful things that you have said to and about other people. He knows your addictions. He knows your fears. He knows what makes you toss and turn in bed at night. He knows it all, and he still loves you, and he says, come, rest. The good news of the gospel is that there's mercy for whatever brick you're carrying around and whatever brick you're feeling the weight of. Whatever damage you may have caused another person made in the image of God, there is grace. Maybe it's abuse, verbal or physical, or immorality, or porn, or gluttony, or racism, slander, gossip, lying, murder, swindling, cheating people out of their money. In other words, there is grace for everyone here because we have all done these things to some extent. And the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus tasted death for us knowing that we would do these very things. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus sees the darkest, most hideous, secret places of our hearts, and he still loves us. He sees the darkest, most hideous, secret places of our hearts. Things that we would be totally embarrassed if people knew about us. And he still loves us. But it gets even more surprising you kind of expect that from a God like that by now, right? At this point, a God who, who functions like this, deals with sinners like this, bestows his grace. You expect it to get even more surprising, right? Not only does Jesus love us when he sees the darkest, most hideous secret places of our hearts, he actually became all of these things on the cross for us when he tasted death for us. Jesus became the darkest most hideous secret places of our hearts on the cross. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Commenting on this verse, Martin Luther said, Our most merciful Father, seeing us to be oppressed and overwhelmed with the curse of the law, sent his only son into the world and laid upon him all the sins of all men, saying, you be Peter, that denier, Paul, that persecutor, blasphemer, and cruel oppressor, David, that adulterer, 
That sinner who ate the apple in paradise. That thief who hung upon the cross. And briefly, you be the person who has committed the sins of all men. See, therefore, that you pay and satisfy for them. Jesus became the darkest, most hideous places of our hearts. All of those things that we hate, all of those things in our past that we are ashamed of, Jesus became them on the cross when he tasted death. He took those bricks upon himself when he tasted death, when he took our place. When he tasted death on the cross for us, Jesus became the racist. Jesus became the blasphemer. Jesus became the adulterer. Jesus became the thief. Jesus became a racist on the cross. Jesus became a prostitute on the cross. Jesus became the town gossip on the cross. Jesus became the church gossip on the cross. He became an abortion doctor on the cross. He became a pimp on the cross. Jesus became a screaming parent hurling hurtful words at their children on the cross. He became a child abuser, a pedophile, a pervert, a terrorist, an alcoholic, a drug dealer, and a drug abuser on the cross. And he did it to save the people who do those very things. He did it for you. He did it for me. Will you repent of your sins and trust in him today? What grace and what mercy. And because Jesus did that for us, because he tasted death for us, we can finally rest. You can rest today because every one of your failures has been laid upon Jesus' back. Every one of your failures, the things that you regret about your past, has died with Jesus in his death, when he tasted death for you, to be remembered no more. Rest because Jesus cannot remember your sins. Rest because all of your yesterdays are nailed to the cross and they are to be remembered No more. Rest today and remember no more. Rest because the gospel is true. Rest because the gospel is good news. Rest because Jesus has thrown your brick into the sea of forgetfulness and he remembers it no more. Micah 7, 19. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You can rest today, Christian, because God has thrown the brick of your sin into the depths of the sea. Don't drag a net through the sea of forgetfulness. Let that brick sink. Don't drag a net through the sea of forgetfulness and try to bring up the bricks of yesterday that you're ashamed of that have you weighted down. Let that brick sink to the bottom and rest. I was reading John Calvin's Institutes yesterday and came across this sentence that stopped me in my tracks. We cannot be condemned on account of our sins because they are no longer ours but his. Your sins don't belong to you anymore. They belong to Jesus. Your bricks don't belong to you anymore. They belong to Jesus. Your sins, the things that you're ashamed of, they don't belong to you anymore. They belong to Jesus. And that's, he took them to the cross. They've been nailed there. They're not yours anymore. They belong to him now. 
when you feel the brick of shame dragging you down, remember to rest. And remember that God is most glorified in you when you are most sabotaged in him. You are not your brick. The brick that's weighing you down, the brick that brings guilt and condemnation and shame and regret, you're not that brick. You are not your brick. And your brick does not belong to you anymore. It belongs to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your amazing love for sinners like us. He would send Jesus and that he became all of these awful things on the cross for us. And we are humbled. And we say thank you for the freedom of the gospel. That our sins don't belong to us anymore. They belong to Jesus. They were nailed to the cross to be remembered no more. And it's all because we belong to him. Because we're in union with your son, Father. May the Holy Spirit come now and impress the gospel deep into our hearts. And may the Holy Spirit come and comfort those among us who are involved in some way in abortion. May they hear your words, come to me and rest. May you comfort their hearts and may they know that they are forgiven. Would you do that, Father, for your glory? and for our good, so that we can be a people who rest. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.